Continuing in our series in the book of Romans, if you'll open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, I would like to read verses 1 through 11 out loud with you. You don't have to read out loud with me. You can just follow along. I'm reading from the New International Version. I have different preferences for different things and versions, but this is an easy one to read. So uh, let's start reading in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. We glory in our sufferings. I don't know how many of you are suffering right now. I know of a couple of people, but... We glory in our sufferings, it says. Hmm. Glorying in suffering. That's not something that I'm used to doing. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die, Paul says. Verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Paul speaks about peace with God. According to Paul, our faith in Jesus gives us grace, which produces peace with the Father. So this would assume that at one time we were at odds with God. We were at war with God. We were fighting with God or in some sort of conflict with him, if now there's peace before there wasn't. I think it's important to realize that God never had anything against us. He never had anything against me. We just didn't see him in a correct light. Recently I had a person angry at me, quite angry at me, angry enough that uh, they wrote me a very long email detailing the horrible things I had done to them and their family, including in that email a lot of disparaging remarks, and, and uh, there were some names called, and maybe even a threat or two. The problem was they were mistaken. They were mistaken about a lot of their assumptions, and, and they believed several things about the situation and about me that were just simply not true. They just simply didn't happen the way that they thought that they did. A third party 
found out about this situation, who was very aware of the whole situation, that saw the whole thing very clearly, and they found out that this person was angry and that they had sent the email and that they had called the names. So the third party, who had this clear picture of everything, met with the person who was angry and explained the situation very thoroughly to them. This is what really happened. This is what really is going on. As the third party explained the situation, it started to dawn on the angry person that they had believed a bunch of false information about the situation and about me. Some of the stuff that, that they don't even know how they came up with it. They were embarrassed. And they wrote me a very long note of apology asking for my forgiveness and for the harsh things that they had said. Well, this happened several weeks ago. Yesterday, I was in the hospital visiting one of our church members that's in the hospital. And, and uh, I was in the hallway. And this person who had wrote the angry email to me was in the hallway. And I saw them and they saw me. And it was a little awkward at first. You know, you don't know how people are going to react. Are they still mad? Are they not mad? Should I go say hi? Should I just kind of keep my distance? They almost ran up to me and gave me a huge hug and again said, I want you to know I'm so sorry. I just misunderstood everything and, and now I have a clear picture. I'm so sorry for what had happened. Well, we stood there in the hallway for the next 45 minutes, probably much to the chagrin of the nurses that were walking back and forth and all the people that were walking back and forth. We had the best conversation full of love and grace, all because a third party came in and shed new light on who I was and on the situation that had happened. This is what Jesus has done for us. Since the Garden of Eden... Humanity has believed a lot of lies about the Father. We've labeled him with all kinds of things that don't befit a God of grace and love and truth. We've called him all kinds of names. We've assumed all kinds of wrong things about him. Jesus comes to us as the third party to explain the Father, to set the record straight. Because of Jesus, there is now peace between us and the Father, because we now know that the lies we used to believe about him and our behaviors that drew further away from drew us further away from him are all just false things. They're just not all true. All of this has been canceled because of the new light that we have, the new understanding we have about the Father. We can now come close to the Father because we can trust him and we have assurance that he will always receive us as his sons and daughters. We don't have to be afraid of God anymore. Paul talks a lot about faith. Faith must be an awfully powerful thing. And I would argue that it is. So the question is, what is faith? Mark Twain says that faith is believing in what you know ain't so. Sounds like Mark Twain, doesn't it? I think he was just trying to be cute and clever when he wrote that. I would tweak his statement and say this. Faith is believing in what you hope is so. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, is the Christian's ultimate 
definition of faith. And I'm going to read it from three different versions, the KJV, the NIV, and the NASB. In the KJV, it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You have a little evidence, and you think it's so, and you believe it's so. You have faith that that evidence is pointing toward a reality. You just can't see it. So you hope it's so. Hebrews 11 in the New International Version says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And then Hebrews 11 in the New American Standard Bible says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. These three versions say that faith is evidence, it's assurance, and it's conviction of what we are all hoping for. I have friends that are atheists. I have family members that are atheists. And they have faith. They have faith in what they cannot see or prove. That they have faith that God does not exist. They've, they're banking on it. They've put their faith in it. They have enough evidence to say, this is what I'm placing my faith in. And I have lots and lots of friends that believe in a God that created everything. They have faith also. They have, they're, they're banking on it. They've got conviction. They're, they have enough evidence to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm putting my cards on this one. I'm, I'm laying my bets down on this one. I have faith that that is true. Faith is the boldness behind our hope. Our faith is what sustains us through uncertainty. Faith is not knowing. Faith is believing. Faith is the nicer sibling to doubt. Faith and doubt necessarily have to coexist. You can't have one without the other. And one of the two, faith or doubt, will be our guide into certainty. Either faith or doubt is going to guide you into when you finally know. Certainty is the destroyer of hope and faith and doubt. I want to explain this. Now, Cohen, it's a special day for you today, right? It's your birthday, right? Ten years old? How old? Nine years old? Man, you look like you're 15. Cohen, can I pick on you? Can I have you come up here for, for a second in front? And uh, just come on up. It's your birthday, so I get to pick on you on your birthday. It's a rule. Grab the microphone with the red on it. That's orange. That one right there. Yeah, and bring it up here. That's going to be your microphone. Cohen? Now this one's on, right? My headset? Yes? No? No? Okay, I'll go up here. Cohen, in my pocket, I have a $1 bill that I would like to give you for your birthday. Here's my question. Do you have faith that this $1 bill is in my pocket and I'm going to give you? Or do you doubt that there's a $1 bill in my pocket that I'm going to give you for your birthday? Faith or doubt? Which one do you have right now? Are you going to get the $1 bill or not get the $1 bill? Go put the microphone up to your mouth. Go ahead. 
Faith or doubt? Which one? You can choose either one. There's no right answer or wrong answer. Faith. You have faith. Okay, that's probably smart. So, you hope that I give you $1 right now, right? Yeah. Your birthday, nine years old. That's great, Cohen. So, I'm going to take it out of my pocket. Okay. It's in my hand. Now, are you positively sure that there is a $1 bill in my hand right now? 100% without a doubt sure? No. You're not. Okay. But you have faith that I do and that you're going to get it, right? Yeah. Okay. Cohen, I'm going to destroy your faith. Are you ready? Here we go. I'm going to destroy your faith. There's a $1 bill. Now, that's yours for your birthday. I have a question for you. How did that destroy your faith? Think about this for a second. Do you, do you have to have faith that the $1 bill is in my hand anymore? Or do you know that the $1 was in my hand now? I know it was. You know it was. You don't have to have faith. You don't have faith because you can see it now, right? You're not hoping that I'm going to give you the $1 bill because I gave you the $1 bill, right? I just destroyed your faith. Is it a bad thing that I destroyed your faith? You got one dollar. It's pretty good, right? Don't you wish it was a 20? Yeah. Maybe later. All right, thank you, Cohen. You can go sit down and keep that dollar. You can put the... See, with certainty, we no longer need hope or faith or doubt because certainty destroys hope, faith, and doubt. We used to have faith, but now he knows. He might have had doubt, but now he knows. He used to have hope, but now his hopes and dreams are rewarded with a $1 bill. Or if I wouldn't have had a $1 bill and just an empty hand, they would have been destroyed. And he would have cried and went back to his mom and dad and said, why do we have such a mean pastor? When I was a kid... My dad and I would enter salmon derbies. I don't know if you know what a salmon derby is. A salmon derby is, a, it's a day where all of the fishermen that want to go salmon fishing are, uh, are they, you can sign up for, a, uh, um, for, for the derby and everybody that signs up and pays their fee on that day from a certain time to a certain time, you go fishing. And whoever catches the biggest salmon gets a prize. Well, on this particular Salmon Derby Day, the prize for the biggest fish was a pair of Honda 90 motorcycles. Oh, man. I was like 10 or 11 years old. I might have even been nine, Cohen. I wanted a motorcycle so bad. And I thought, okay, this is it. We are going to win this thing. And I had faith that we were going to go out. We got up at four o'clock in the morning and we got out there and into my dad's boat and we went out fishing and we fished all day. I had faith we were going to catch a 60 pound big old salmon and we were going to bring it in there. We we're going to weigh it and we were going to go home with two Honda 90 motorcycles. My faith was placed in that hope. And then my hope was replaced by certainty. 
We didn't catch anything except for a two-pound dogfish, a little baby shark. That's all we caught all day. We got nothing. We got no prizes. In another era of my life, I had hope and faith that the woman of my dreams would allow me to marry her. I did everything I could to make the moment happen. And then finally, I placed all my faith and all my hope in a proposal. And I said, will you marry me? And I waited for the answer. And on that day, my faith and my hope was rewarded of the certainty of tears and smiles and hugs and maybe a little kiss or two. In both cases, my faith was replaced with certainty. Faith is powerful. Deep faith can move us to do all kinds of things with the hope that what we have faith in will become a reality someday. Faith can move us to do wonderful things. Faith can also move us to do terrible things. Faith was the driving force that had evil men fly airplanes into buildings on 9-11. It was their faith that drove them to do such evil things. We should be careful on what we place our faith in and how we use our faith. But it is also faith that has moved millions and millions of people in this world to feed hungry people, to heal broken people, and to share the good news of the gospel to a dying world. Faith is a powerful thing that can move mountains for the good if we allow it to. So back to the verses, specifically the verses that Lisa read. Thank you, Lisa, for reading. Suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance develops character, and character produces hope. This is easily observed in any exercise routine. I uh, stood on the scale three months ago, just before our church went on the, the fasting and prayer vigil that we had, and I looked down at the scale and I saw the numbers two, two, eight. And most people would say, well, you're six foot six, that's fine for your frame. You haven't seen me with my shirt off. You should thank God for that. So I started to run for after, walk. I can't run very well because I have a hurt knee. But I started to walk and ride my bike on a regular basis. And you know what? I suffered. The first time I got to Ink Grade Hill on the bottom and I started to ride up that on my bike, I suffered. I suffered so much that the first time I went up and I had to stop five times, I nearly threw up twice, and I think I caught myself praying for God to take my life at least once. I suffered. And then I started to not suffer. Then I stopped twice up in Great And then I started making it so that, so that I, I wasn't suffering at all. I mean, it hurt. It suffered. I suffered, but I started to go up the hill without stopping. And then I started to shift another gear and do that. Suffering produced perseverance. I had this goal in mind. And what my goal was, was by August 4, to be at my wedding weight. I haven't been to my wedding weight since my wedding. It has been 33 years since I've weighed 190 pounds. 
33 years. And I thought, okay, perseverance, suffering, perseverance, perseverance produces character. For sure, when we push through trials and tribulations, there is always a stronger character that's developed on the other side of that. And I feel like this, uh, during my exercise routines, it's, it's a time of prayer for me too. And I feel like I've come closer to the Lord and become a little bit of a different person because perseverance, suffering, perseverance, character. One of the people that I've admired for a very long time is somebody that you're probably familiar with uh, in the political arena and through the news. His name is Senator John McCain. He's not a perfect man. He's done some things that, that maybe he would hang, he has hung his head about. But I believe him to be a man of strong character. And I think that that character was produced because he went through great, great suffering. I recently read Senator John McCain's account, his handwritten account of his captivity during the Vietnam War. He was a Navy pilot and he landed in a body of water, crash landed in a body of water, ended up 12 feet down and, and kicked up and finally got his breath and finally uh, some people helped him get to shore. And when the villagers realized who he was in North Vietnam, they started kicking, hitting and spitting and they turned him over to the military. And then he was brought to a prison camp. In that prison camp, for almost his first two years, he was in solitary confinement. Can you imagine that? In solitary for that long, you have no one to speak to. You're just alone with your thoughts. There's no radio, there's no TV, there's nothing. It's just you. They stripped him of all of his dignity. The things that he describes that they did to him through the years um, are just almost unmentionable. They beat him. They kicked him. They used uh, mind games to try and trick him. He had broken bones and broken ribs and they operated on him to fix the things, but maybe not uh, the best surgeons. He had dysentery that lasted a year and a half. He was dehydrated and he lost weight, a lot of weight. They tried over and over again, to get him to confess to wrongdoing, to write out a confession that they could put on the news and show all the Americans why they were wrong. But he never broke. The whole time he was in prison, he held out hope that someday things would get better. He had hope. He had faith that somehow, someday, his situation would get better. And that made the suffering worth it. What sustained him? What had him hold out all this hope? These are his words. I quote, I was finding that prayer helped. It wasn't a question of asking for superhuman strength or for God to strike the North Vietnamese dead. It was asking for moral and physical courage, for guidance and wisdom to do the right thing. I asked for comfort when I was in pain and sometimes I received relief. I was sustained in many times of trial, through prayer. Again, Paul's words, suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance develops character, and character produces hope. See, none of these things is true without faith. Without faith, suffering can cripple a person into surrender. 
Without faith, there is no perseverance because there's really nothing to live for. Why persevere if you don't have anything that you're hoping for, if you have no life to live for? Without faith, character is not built. Character is destroyed. Faith is the key to all of these things. But with faith, with a belief in better things to come, suffering has a purpose. With faith, suffering makes us stronger. What's the old saying? Whatever doesn't kill us makes us stronger. With faith, our perseverance develops in us a strong character. And all of these things preserve hope, hope for a better future. Really, faith is the only thing that makes suffering worth the journey. Because we all suffer. But if suffering happens without faith, suffering is just suffering. Without faith and hope, with just suffering, no faith and hope, the suicide rate in the world would be unmeasurable. People would have nothing to live for. They would just try to end it all. But because of faith and hope, we will endure all kinds of suffering, won't we? Because of faith and hope, we can weather the storms to make it to the other side. In a weird little microcosm of life, going to Disneyland illustrates us. Last time I was at Disneyland, I was there with uh, the Bacells. They, they were there, and, and, uh, and we hiked all over the place. And do you know what we did on purpose? I mean, we did this with the intention of doing it. We went and stood in line with a whole bunch of strangers, people that we didn't know, for hours in 90-degree heat. We just stood there, walking along like a bunch of lemmings. And we did this on purpose. Who would choose to do this? Well, we did it because there was a hope. And the hope was, at the end of that 90 minutes in line with all those strangers in the searing heat, there would be Splash Mountain. And Splash Mountain made the suffering worth it. Kind of. In Romans 5, Paul reminds his readers that suffering is not the end of the story. He reminds us that when we have strong faith, our suffering can produce something beautiful. Suffering, accompanied by faith, grows strong character. Suffering, accompanied by faith, produces a hope for a better future. Strong faith builds strong character. And our strong character is what will bring us home to the promised land. Book of Revelation promises something over and over again. It says, to he who overcomes, to he or she who overcomes, there is a reward. You don't overcome without faith. Because without faith, you're going to fold every time. This is what our hope is based on. We look forward to the hope that our faith will one day be certainty, that our faith will be destroyed with the glorious coming of Jesus Christ. A faith-to-faith, -faith, a face-to-face -face relationship with Jesus will destroy our faith and it'll be replaced with the certainty of eternity. And everything is going to pay off in the end. Our denomination has an anthem 
It's our song. You know how couples have their song when it comes on the radio? Oh, that's our song. This song is the Seventh-day Adventist's song. It's called, We Have This Hope. And the lyrics go like this. We have this hope that burns within our heart. Hope that burns within our heart. It's not certainty yet. We're waiting for the certainty, but we have this hope. Hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this faith, it says, that Christ alone imparts faith in the promise of his word. We believe that the time is here when the nations far and near shall awake and shout and sing, Hallelujah, Christ is King. This is what everything is rooted in. This is our faith. This is our hope. This is why we endure suffering and this is why we persevere and this is what our character is built on. This hope. Do you know the tune? We have this hope? Sing it with me. We have this hope that burns within our heart. Hope in the coming of the Lord. We have this faith that Christ alone imparts. Faith in the promise of his word. We believe the time is here. When the nations far and near shall awake and shout and sing, Hallelujah, Christ is King. We have this hope that burns within our This is what our faith and hope are built on. Suffering on this earth is worth the reward to come. Keep the faith. Hold out hope. In the words of Winston Churchill, if you find yourself in hell, keep walking. Also in the words of Winston Churchill, Partly, never surrender to the hopelessness of the evil one. He's going to throw darts at you. Don't surrender. Hold on to your faith. Hold on to hope. And you will be rewarded.